We extend a hearty welcome to visitors among us today and to the church family. And as we, as we come to worship, we hear our Lord's call to worship this morning from Psalm 22, verses 23 through 25. Ye that fear the Lord, praise Him. And all ye the seed of Jacob, glorify Him and fear Him. All ye the seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard, My voice shall be of thee in the, in the great, sorry, my praise shall be of thee in the great congregation, and I will pay my vows before them that fear him. We'll now turn in the scriptures to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, and we'll read the first 15 verses. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret, himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. And after this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father Forgive your trespasses. So far the reading of God's holy, infallible, and instructive word for our lives.
Dear church family, please turn with me in the back of the Psalters to page 81 in Lord's Day 45 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Today we begin our study of prayer as part of the third part of the Catechism dealing with thankfulness and thankful living. Let's read these questions together. Question 116. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because it is the chief part of thankfulness which God requires of us. And also because God will give his grace and Holy Spirit to those only who with sincere desires continually ask them of him and are thankful for them. Question 117. What are the the requisites of that prayer which are acceptable to God, which he will hear? Well, first... That we pray from the, that we from the heart pray to the one true God only, who hath manifested himself in his word for all things he hath commanded us to ask of him. And secondly, that we rightly and thoroughly know our need and misery, that so we may deeply humble ourselves in the presence of his divine majesty. And thirdly, that we being fully persuaded that he, notwithstanding that we are unworthy of it, will, for the sake of Christ our Lord, certainly hear our prayer as he hath promised us in his word. Question 118. And what hath God commanded us to ask of him? All things necessary for soul and body which Christ our Lord has compromised in that prayer, which he has taught us. And what are the words of that prayer? Question 119. We read them earlier from Matthew chapter 6, beginning with those words familiar to us all, Our Father, which art in heaven. We'll leave it at that. Prayer, says the Catechism, is the the chief part of thankfulness. We've we've come to the last section of the the Heidelberg Catechism, the section dealing with the Lord's Prayer and prayer in broadly speaking, the need for it and how it is to be part of thankful living as we live out the Christian life how to, in terms of being thankful for what God has done for sinners like, like ourselves. So as we, approach, as we approach the subject of prayer, which the catechism deals with at the, the very end of the catechism, the question that's maybe at the back of our minds, why, why have the authors of the catechism left this to, to the very end? Well, if we consider the, the order, the structure of the catechism, I think that helps us in our understanding. Sinners like us, we need to come to see our great need, our misery. For it's only in seeing our misery, our sin, for what it is, 
that we come, we see our need of a Savior. And it's only in experiencing that great deliverance that is found in Christ Jesus that we also hear the Lord's call to live thankful lives, to live um, lives, as the Catechism says, filled with good works. We're called to be zealous to good works. And we, we considered, as we considered the beginning of the third section of the Catechism, that these good works are really themselves the outworking of grace. And they, they must proceed from true faith. And they're to be performed in accordance with the, the very Word of God. And the, and the Catechism then described for us, they're really going to be the outworking of the, the law. The Ten Commandments, which the Lord gave for his people to live thankful lives in response to what God had done for them in delivering them from their bondage in Egypt. As we heard last week, the law has, for the Christian, has become that cane that we use, lean on, to walk through life. But we don't live out the Christian life. We don't live out these thank-filled lives filled with good works on our own. We don't do so in our own strength. But we do so in dependence on the Lord our God. And hence the need for prayer, the need to pray. We need the Lord. We need the Lord day after day, moment after moment. We need Him to live for Him. We cannot do it on our own. And so prayer becomes essential. It's integral to, to thankful living in, uh, in, in an ongoing way. And for that reason, prayer ought to permeate to marinate, as it were, everything that we do in life. But if we're honest with ourselves as we maybe reflect back on this week, as we look back at the, the last days, we reflect on our prayer life, Often to our shame, we confess that we don't pray enough. We don't pray often. We, we pray, we find prayer hard work, challenging work. And we may attribute it to a number of different things, distractions, time pressures, the lack of desire, the lack for intimate communion with our Lord. Maybe there's doubt. Maybe it's ourself. Or maybe other times we just approach prayer so casually, so lazily. A friend, when we neglect to pray, when we, when prayer is haphazard, as it were, in our lives, we, we miss out on glorious realities. We miss out on the, the incredible privilege that we as the people of God have because we get to approach the King of Kings in prayer. It's as if we have an audience with, we do, we have an audience with the King. 
who delights to hear from his people as a heavenly father. And so we can come to him. We can come carrying our, our every need, big and small, insignificant, tremendous, the burdens. We bring to him our sins. We confess before him. We describe our inadequacies, our shortcomings. And despite our shortcomings, Prayer is, as the Catechism says, the chief part, an integral part of thankfulness. Because it is a gift from the Lord that he not only has given, but requires us to to make use of. It's a gift that he delights to see his people using. Parents, when you give a gift to your children... You don't like it when they just take that gift, set it on a shelf to be set there and not to be used. But, it, but we like to see those gifts being, being used, being implemented, being made, made use of in daily life. And so our Heavenly Father, who has given this tremendous gift of prayer, loves to see his people make use of it making use of it as they humbly submit to him, as they approach his throne of grace in faith, trusting, resting in the finished work of Christ, believing that he will supply all things necessary for this life and the life to come. So our theme this morning, which comes loosely from our passage that we read is when you pray. When you pray. We need to remember when we pray three things. We want to remember who it is that calls us to pray in the first place. Second, we want to remember why it is necessary to pray. And then third, we want to consider and remember how we are to pray. Three times in this passage, Jesus begins the the verses 5, 6, and 7 with this statement or a similar one. And when thou prayest, or when, but thou, when thou prayest, verse 6, and then verse 7, but when ye pray. Three times, Jesus begins a statement saying in the present tense, indicating that this prayer was ongoing action in the lives of his people. Remember, this is the Sermon on the Mount. He's, he's proclaiming, he's teaching this people that have gathered with him, describing what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. And those who are part of the kingdom of God will be people of prayer. Jesus expects that his people will be a people of prayer. He anticipates it. He doesn't say, and if you pray. He says, when you pray. The people of God, those who are members of the kingdom of God, are a praying people. Are we a praying people? Jesus anticipates, expects that you are. 
Jesus also knows, though, that prayer is at times challenging, that there are distractions, there are temptations involved in prayer. And so as he, as he demonstrates his expectation that his people are praying, he immediately turns to, to necessary instruction about the character, about the nature, and the pattern of prayer. And if we aren't praying, if we are not a praying people, our Savior leaves no wiggle room for us, as he says in verse 9, after this manner, pray, command, pray ye. He expects, he demands that his people be a praying people. Are you praying? Are you a praying people? This expectation to be a praying people is found throughout the Scriptures. Throughout the Scriptures, we find the people of God lifting up their voices in praise and adoration, lifting up their voices in confession of sin, coming to Him with thankful voices, lifting up their needs and cares in supplication, asking for specific needs and cares. Children, to help us remember these four aspects of prayer that we we find throughout the Scripture that are an integral part of prayer, although we may not pray them all specifically in every given prayer, they ought to be the pattern of our prayers. We use the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. We find, our, we find throughout the Scripture prayers of adoration, prayers of confession, prayers of thanksgiving, and prayers of supplication. So, for example, in Psalm 22, verses 25 and 26, we, we see the psalmist Lift up his voice in adoration and praise. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. Or prayers of confession. We think of David's prayer in Psalm 51, verses 3 and 4. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, David cries. Or in 1 John 1, 9, where we're called to confess our sins to our God, for he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or we find time and time again prayers of thanksgiving. <clears throat> Several times throughout the Psalms, you hear the, the, the command, give thanks to the Lord. Or in Psalm 50, verse 14, offer unto God thanksgiving. Or our prayers are to include the presenting, the, the, the laying before the Lord, supplications, our cares, our needs of life. Verse 15 of Psalm 50, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will answer. 
Or Jesus says in Matthew 7, ask and it shall be given you. Are we a praying people? Whether whether it's formal, dedicated times of personal prayer or corporate prayer, where we, we pray, we set aside time to intentionally intentionally and purposefully call upon the Lord. Either as individuals, and in Jesus' words in Matthew 6, in the first two verses, it's, it's in the singular. When you singular pray, and then verse 7, but when ye plural pray, combination of personal and corporate. Do we delight in calling upon the name of God individually, but also as a congregation? As we come to worship in corporate prayer, being led by one person, or times of of gathering together for prayer meetings, where we delight, come and carry our needs together as a flock to the throne of grace. Other times our prayers are going to be not those set of times for specific prayers, but spontaneous prayer in the moment. Utterances of the heart, whether it's driving to the job site or whether it's in, in our workplace as we're interacting with a customer or a patient or wherever it might be. Lifting up a prayer for help, for the soul of that person, for, for a spirit of unity, for calmness, for whatever. Or whether it's lying in your bed in the middle of the night, unable to sleep, and you think of your children, your grandchildren, the church, your own soul. Or whether, children, it's at your desk as you're writing writing a test, and you're stuck, praying to the Lord for wisdom and clarity, for recall, or whether it's sitting in the hospital waiting room, anticipating that doctor to walk through with news of a, how the surgery went, or the test results, lifting up our voices in spontaneous prayer. Our Lord and Savior anticipate that we are a praying people. But he not only expects it, but he calls us to this tremendous and this privileged task. But as we pray, or when we pray, we, we, come, we come to these times of prayer what are, we, what are we really believing? What is at the back of our minds as we come to our prayer? What, why is it necessary that we pray? And I want to answer this question, why is it necessary that we pray? By considering what we should be holding to be true. What we are presupposing is the reality. Now often we forget these things as we come to prayer. And so this morning I want you to remind you of 
what we hold to be true as we approach the Lord in prayer, which makes prayer absolutely necessary. And these things that we hold to be true are going to be, in the first place, we're going to look at things that are related to who our God is, and then second, to who, who we are as, as human beings. So in the, in the first place, what do we hold true? What, are we re, what should we be recalling to our mind about the Lord in terms of why prayer is necessary? Well, first, we presuppose or hold to be true that God is, all, is the all-sufficient one who has the ability within himself to answer and supply for all our needs that we bring to him in prayer. We sang from Psalter 137, from Psalm 50, that he is a God who has the cattle upon a thousand hills. He's the one that has the silver and the gold of the earth. He owns it all. He has all the resources at his disposal to be used for his glory. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9.8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Nothing can hinder him from pouring out his grace and abundance because he is an overflowing fountain of all good. And so we can come. We can come with confidence. We can come with boldness to the throne of grace because he is a God who is all-sufficient. Second, we presuppose that God is ready and willing to distribute from his bountiful store. We don't come to a God who is stingy. We come to a God who, who delights in giving his good gifts, distributing them to his people. He delights in giving from his inexhaustible storehouse. The psalmist in Psalm 33 says that the earth is full of the goodness of God. And then later in the psalm he says, and he, referring to the Lord, he looks from heaven and he beholds all the sons of men. Why? That the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him and upon them that hope in his mercy. Why? To deliver them. To deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine, to deal with their, their spiritual needs, to, to deliver from sin and misery that they find themselves in, but also to supply for every one of their earthly needs that we need in this life, to live for his glory. And so we come, we can come to prayer with expectancy, believing that he delights in pouring out his good gifts. Third, we presuppose that God knows all about our needs and cares, even before we ask. But he has appointed prayer as the way for us to receive these good gifts. 
In our passage from Matthew 6, Jesus says that our Father in heaven knows what things we have need of before we ask. But he still calls us to pray. He still calls us to come to him in prayer. He calls us to to tell him what is on our heart and our mind, to lay it before him. Cast your cares upon me. In Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11, we, we find Jesus continuing to instruct on prayer, and he says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find it. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeks finds, and to him that knocks it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? And the answer, the implied answer, of course not. But if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give the good things to them that ask him? Our Father knows what we need, but he delights to hear from his people what they have need of. So we are to be a people, a praying people that call on the Lord, lifting up our specific needs and cares. Yes, our God could supply and and often does supply us even before we ask. But he delights to hear the whispers of his children in his ear. Dads in our midst, doesn't it give you joy when your children come to you, particularly when they were younger and they crawl up on your lap or they leave a little note for you saying, will you do this or can you help me with this? Can we do this together? And if we as earthly fathers find joy in our children coming to us, asking us, What joy does it bring our Heavenly Father when we come to Him? Seeking Him, calling upon His name. So may we come, come to our Heavenly Father and lay our needs, our cares, our petitions, our joys, our thanksgivings, our confession of sin, lay it before Him. Knowing that He delights to communicate, to distribute his good gifts to his people. But not only do we presuppose something about who our God is, but we also also need to understand something of who we are. We hold true in the first place that we are poor and needy. We're a needy people. Temporal needs and spiritual needs. With the scripture, we acknowledge that we are desperately wicked. And who can know it? The Jeremiah tells us. We know that we forfeited every right to come into the presence of God, to be heard by Him. And as the Catechism says, we need to thoroughly know this our need and our misery. The second, we must recognize that 
and acknowledge and hold to be true that we cannot help ourselves. We can't work out a solution for our troubles, our cares, our needs. We need to come to recognize in ourselves that we need another to act on our behalf. Oh, we might attempt to try. We, we, we might put our plans into, into action. But we need to come to the, the realization that apart from the Lord blessing, our plans are fruitless and, and hopeless. Jacob had to come to realize this. Children, you remember the time where he had been sent by his father and Rebecca, his mom, to, to go to Laban to find a, to find a wife. And he had been there for 14 plus years at least, if not significantly longer. He had been away from his brother Esau. The last he had heard from his brother Esau, from what we know from Scripture, is that his brother was going to kill him. And so when he returns, as he's returning to the land of Canaan, his mind goes to, what are we, what, how am I going to approach and deal with Esau? And we see him, in many ways, takes the matters into his own hand. He sends gifts to try to appease Esau. And Esau refuses the gifts. And we're told that the men come back who have brought the gift, and Esau's coming with 400 men. And we see then Jacob taking the next steps. He's going to divide his group into parts, and he's going to send one one part at a a time to meet Esau. Jacob being the last one. But it was here that the Lord met with Jacob. And Jacob had to learn as he wrestled with the Lord that he needed the Lord to bless him and had to come to the realization, to the point in his life, except the Lord bless me, he would not let him go. Jacob would not let him go. Except the Lord bless us. We cannot go on without him. We often think we can make it on our own. We're slow to run to the Lord, to turn to the Lord with our questions, our cares, our troubles. But may we come to the realization in our own lives that we need to approach him. Acknowledging that we are nothing, but that he is that he is everything. And this brings us to our third thing that we need to hold true of ourselves. That we need that as we come to the Lord, we are to be aware of and, and cognizant, recognizing our needs. We don't just come haphazardly. But we come, we come with a recognition of, of why and we need the Lord, of what we need the Lord for. Because if we don't need, recognize our need, we won't come. I saw this in the classroom all the time as a teacher. I've had students busy doing their homework, their assignment for the day, 
And as I walked up and down the, the aisles, just checking over their, their shoulder, observing their work in the math classes that I taught, I would see the, the little mistake here or the little mistake there, and the student would be oblivious and just continue doing it. But when they saw the mistake, the hand would go up. I'm not getting this. I need help. It's when we come to the recognition of our need that we turn to the, that we will turn to the Lord by His grace for help. We don't go to the bank for money if we need, if we don't need it. And so it is with our spiritual and our temporal needs. It's when the Lord makes us sensible to those needs that we turn to Him with our cares for help. Now, there are times in our lives where, where we, 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 we sense great need, but we find it hard to specify and pinpoint exactly what, what it is that the Lord is trying to teach us or what it is where we need the Lord. But we come, nonetheless. We come because we know that He knows our needs most perfectly. Knowing that He knows. Knowing that He knows our hearts, our lives. That He knows the discouragements, the challenges. We come. Believing that He, he is the one who, who knows our present need most perfectly. Even though we have trouble articulating it. David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, for some time did not confess and acknowledge his sin before the Lord. He knew he had sinned, but he didn't turn to the Lord for forgiveness. It was only as he was made fully aware of that need, as the prophet Nathan came to him and said, You are the man. It was then that David turned in prayer to the Lord seeking him, confessing his sins, desiring for, for forgiveness and restoration. Even though he, as he confesses in Psalm 32, that his, his, his bones were waxing old despite of his failing to turn to the Lord and his mouth, it was turning into the drought of summer. May we come to a, a sensible recognition of our needs and turn to the Lord. Maybe as you, maybe as you reflect on your prayer life, maybe you find prayer absent. Could it be because you don't see your need? Temporal needs, you're well off, you've been able to make ends meet on your own, you haven't needed the Lord. Or you don't see your need spiritually for the Lord either. You haven't come to see that you're a poor and needy sinner, that you are missing out on his grace and mercy, that you're missing out on a relationship with him 
that you're missing out on intimate communion with the Lord your God. Friend, if this is you, you and you haven't come to see your, your need for the Lord, you're really not going to come to him in prayer. And may it be, may this be your prayer. Lord, show me my need. Show me, open my eyes to, to see who I really am, how desperately empty I am, how much I need you. Turn to him. Tell him about the lack of a need in your life. He knows all about that as well. The fourth thing that we hold true about ourselves as we come to God in prayer is that whatever our present need, whatever our present trouble, difficulty, whether it's a physical need, a spiritual need, whatever it might be, the only remedy will be supplied for and found in the Lord alone, in his Son, Jesus Christ. Our needs, our cares, the troubles will not be remedied by things of this world, by burying ourselves in our work, trying to find fulfillment there, or burying ourselves in our hobbies, our entertainment, the things we consume to dull our senses. No. Our only remedy, our only solution is going to be found in the Lord alone. And as we come to our God in prayer, we need to, to recognize that and remember that, which makes prayer essential for the Christian. Where do you find yourself turning in your needs and cares? Is it to your own abilities, to your own, to other people, to stuff? By nature, this is what we do. Ahab did it. As, as Jehoshaphat asked for prayer before their upcoming battle, and Ahab turned to the false prophets. Or do we find ourselves turning to the Lord in seeking help and deliverance from him? Friend, if this is you, this is a, a sign, a, a mark of spiritual life, because by nature we don't go to the Lord. We don't desire, we don't think he can help us, we think we can figure it out on our own. And as we turn to the Lord in prayer, do we believe that he's able and willing to hear our prayers, and to answer them for Christ's sake. So, dear child of God, as you, as you cast yourself on the Lord, as you, pour out your, as you pour out your heart to him, take him at his word, that he is a God who, who delights in hearing and answering prayer. But how do we do that? What does it look like to approach our God in prayer? So our Lord Jesus not only anticipates and expects us, his people, to be a praying people, but he expects us to pray remembering something about who he is as the Lord of the heavens and the earth, but also who we are as 
human beings. And so he calls us to pray. But how, how are we to pray? And I want to just consider here briefly uh, two broad characteristics of the prayers of God's people flowing out of some of the, the things we hold to be true. We'll be considering more about the pattern of prayer in the weeks to come as we, as we consider the Lord's Prayer from the Catechism. But in the first place, we are to be a people who approach the Lord with humility, with humble ourselves before the Lord our God, recognizing that we don't deserve the least of the Lord's blessings to be shown to us, humbling ourselves because we are unworthy to enter into his presence. We don't want to draw attention to ourselves and who we are. This is what the Pharisees were doing, as Jesus instructs us, when he says, but when you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. They love to draw attention to themselves. But when you pray, Jesus says, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which seeth in secret. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. We pray humbly, entering into his presence, demonstrating that we are nothing. We're not worthy of the least of the blessings. We're not trying to draw attention to ourselves, but we're, we're trying to bring a, a glory to his name as the one who is, who is able and who is worthy to be prayed to, to be served. We humble ourselves, recognizing that the Lord knows all about us. He's the one who sees our, our very hearts. He sees how you're approaching. He sees your motives. He, he knows why you're praying, why you're coming to him. He knows if you see yourself as unworthy of the least of his blessings. So we come humbling ourselves before the Lord our God. Humbly submitting to his will. Submitting to that whatever he deems best for us, however he answers our prayers, however he, he cares for our needs, whatever that might look like, in the working out of his purposes in our lives, we humbly submit to his ways. But in the second place, we come with confidence in faith. We pray, we are called to be a people who pray in faith. Believing that the God who knows all about us knows best how to answer our requests. Jesus says in verse 8 that your Father knows what things you have need of. And the implication is he not only knows it, but he also knows how to answer, how to supply, how to care for for you. And not just that he knows about your need and he knows how to care for, 
but he knows how he will care for and supply for your cares and needs. And so with the catechism, we could say we could be, we are called to be fully persuaded that he will, for the sake of Christ our Lord, certainly hear our prayer as is promised in his word. And so we pray believingly, trusting that he will supply for all things necessary. This doesn't mean we come and think we can twist the the Lord's into giving what we need as the heathen were do with their repetitions and their and their many words, but we come with simple faith, casting our care upon the Lord and leaving it with him. Believing that he does all things well, resting in, in him. Friend, are you praying? Are you praying with a recognition of who you are? A needy, a poor, needy sinner. Are you praying, recognizing who your glorious God is and his ability and his willingness to care for you? Are you found regularly at the throne of grace? And if not, what what hinders you? What hinders you from from calling on the name of the Lord. Dear people of God, we know that so often we don't pray as, as often as we should and could. And so I leave you with four, four exhortations that you may, that we may work, strive to see and understand our need. And that the fulfillment of it is only to be found in Christ alone. Second, that we strive to pray by faith, resting in our all-sufficient God. And third, that my last one, that we strive to remove any obstacle that may cause us to doubt or question his goodness and his willingness to help his needy people. And I close with a quote from John Brown of Womfrey. He says, We should labor for large thoughts of the largeness of God, of his generous willingness and his readiness to answer despite our unworthiness, despite our former provocations, despite our present want of a suitable frame of spirit, despite our misbelief, despite our abuse of his former mercies and favors. And may we pray, being in consonant with to his revealed will, so that our prayers may be with all due submission as to the particulars that we ask 
or as to the time and seasons, and as to the manners of the granting what we have asked for. For he is the Holy One of Israel, who must not be limited. Amen. Heavenly Father, what a privilege we have to be able to call upon thy name. And as we do so, Lord, we, we recognize that we, it has nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do with who thou art in and through thy beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, help us to come in our prayers, to come with humbleness, humility, but yet with boldness and faith, persuaded that thou wilt hear us and answer our prayers for the sake of thy beloved Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.